Welcome to the Radicards podcast at radicards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Grino, and today I have joining me Brian Hayes of Lingua Sports Cards. And we're going to go through three points, five minutes each, and let's get right into it here. So, Brian, let's talk about this. Uh, when hype happens in the hobby, hype exists because prospectors swarm to certain markets and they buy like worker bees. And then they, a lot of them will sit on cards for a period of time and then turn them around, hopefully for a profit. That's the hope anyway. Let's talk about this concept of waiting until the hype clears before buying. What do you think are the pros and cons of doing something like this? Um, sure. Waiting for the, the hype to go down is something that I constantly do uh, with my own collection as, as I am building it. Um, I don't like to get involved in sort of chasing prospect or hype prospects. Um, you know, it's part of it is just that, you know, this hobby is supposed to be fun. And so like I try to do the things that are fun for me. And I think in the past, sometimes maybe I'd go after a young player, a prospect. And um, if it didn't work out like that player just didn't have the career that many people thought, then I'm sort of left with these cards that I, you know, n no longer really want in my collection after a couple of years if that player has been hurt, just hasn't played well, performed up to expectations. I'm sort of left with all these cards that I no longer want. And then I have to, I don't know, like get rid of them, sell them. You know, it's 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 work. And that that to me is just not fun. Um, it's not a fun process to, to go through. And, you know, at the end of the day, when I'm building my collection and I'm in this hobby, I'm always making sure that I'm having fun. If I'm not having fun, then I'm doing something wrong. So for me, just waiting, it's, it's more fun. I can still enjoy the player, his career as it takes off, just as a sports fan i don't necessarily have to have his his or her cards or the player and then after a couple of years a lot of times the masses they move on to the next prospect so even if a player does live up to the uh, expectations i mean there's always exceptions but generally speaking even if a player does live up to expectations some of that hype has died down people are on people are on to the next big things and um, i just feel more comfortable going after cards then i might have missed maybe the best time to buy, to buy that player. But in the long run, I feel like I win more times than, than I lose in the sense that, um, you know, I'm only adding cards of players that um, I really want to add into my collection. Um, I'm not sort of doing this whole process of sometimes I, you know, chose the right prospect and it does well, sometimes not. Uh, I feel like just by waiting, you know, more times than not, I, I'm doing well. And like many other uh, topics in the hobby, I try to take a a long-term perspective of how, how I'm building my collection. And this is just, just another example of that. Yeah, I guess that it comes down to what's your goal? What's your intention? You know, are, are you are you planning on getting these cards to resell later for a slow growth? Or are you planning on getting these cards because you actually just want the cards because you like the player? And if that's the case, like that's that's more my style as the latter. Great. And, as, and also, I would also say that I think the, the longer I've been in the hobby, my the period that I'm willing to wait, like it keeps extending. It used to be like, if I really liked a player, like maybe it's a little bit of FOMO. Like I knew logically I, I should wait because it oftentimes doesn't work out for a player, um, but I would really like that player. And so I, I would wait a couple of years, but um, over time I have become more patient of a collector and a player might be five years, 10 years into his career before I like add one of, his cards to, to my collection and um, I think that's just a, a change that I've noticed for myself that like I'm really um, just being very gradual with the the additions of, of new players and so obviously you know a player five or ten years into his career no longer a prospect and we more or less kind of know what caliber a player that that player is going to be 
but also it gives me a sense to understand which sets and cards of that player are also most relevant long term. And sometimes you just don't know right away when it, it, like a lot of times, you know, there's so many brands these days. There's so many cards to choose from. Like I, even if I wanted to collect the player, I don't even know which card to go get. I mean, it's easy to say go after a rookie card, but I, I like to, to, to mix it up. And for that reason, I, I tend to wait longer than, than before. Yeah, man. Good thoughts. I'm glad we got a chance to talk about that one. Next question. Mike Trout has calf injury. He's recovering from, as we've, we've heard. So the question becomes Mike Trout, best player in baseball right now. Is it a good time to buy because he's injured? I mean, that's always the thing. Do you, you buy when it's down and then you, you sell when it's high? What do you think, Brian? You should we try to scoop up some stuff. His stuff sells pretty good regardless of injury. He's proven himself to be a very dominant player. But if you were to go after a couple cards right now that aren't rookie cards, because those are the obvious ones, which ones would you chase? So I, let's see here. I like gold cards. So probably what I would be doing is looking for like Pops Chrome. That's the brand that I, I, I like the best as well. So I would probably be looking for Pops Chrome, gold, uh, refractors of of trout. Um, I think a lot of times those are numbered to 50, although I'm not sure how consistent Tops is with that. Um, that's definitely where I would be going for some of his later year cards. And it, that's such a, a tough question to answer on trout because obviously, like you were saying, he's, he's the best player in baseball. That, that's pretty clear. Um, but last year with a shortened season because of COVID and this year with his injuries, um, and even next year, like there's some talk about uh, potential work stoppage of, of some sort with baseball because the the collecting bargaining agreement is coming to an end after uh, this season. Even next year, I'm not quite sure what kind of season we're going to have. Hopefully, it's a full season and uh, you know Trout can have a full season. I mean, that's what everybody wants and hopes. But you know, there, there's no guarantees. And so, I sort of find myself on the fence with Trout right now. Obviously, he's a legend, Hall of Famer, but I, I do believe at the same time people. I think some collectors have already put him on like baseball's Mount Rushmore, like a top four or five player of all time. And I think because of that, some of that is sort of baked into the prices of his cards already. But he still has, you know, maybe 10 years left of his career. He still has a whole second half of his career to go. And there's just no guarantee that he's going to continue producing the, the way that he has. We've seen that time and time again with, with other players that they, they slow down in their 30s. Things happen. There's no guarantees in, in life. And so... I would probably, to answer your question, um, if I was in the market for uh, a trout card, I would probably just try to find an uh, an auction um, and then just put in a an aggressive bid, but nothing over the top uh, right now. And hopefully, you know, I I win one one or two of those um, would probably be my strategy right now with with my trout. How about you? What would you go after? Uh, you know, as somebody who does who chases like interesting parallels that don't have relics or autographs on them i'm right there with you with the like low parallel or low low serial numbered refractor i i I tend to go for reds and oranges just because i like even lower print runs on stuff like even less you know common and i think it's just because it's my draw to like try to get the best stuff i can get obviously super fractors are great but they're unrealistic most of the time you just don't see them and when you do their asking prices are just through the nose and so to fives and 25s and to 50s is more kind of where i go to so i like that stuff does it need to be a second-year card? No, it could be like last year's card. Redemptions are kind of interesting. Promos are sort of compelling to a degree, I think. If if he was in the National Convention redemption-type stuff uh, over the years, I might go there because they're so far into his career and they're interesting-looking cards. Attraction, a card attraction is, is important to me, too. Like, I want to look at the card and 
like what I'm looking at. Yeah, those are also um, yeah really good chases. I like I like that that variety um, that you know you you so often bring to the table when it comes to to cards. Um, finding some of those different kinds of pieces that maybe not everyone in the mainstream is looking for. I think that's that's a great way to go after Trout because like his cards are they're so expensive and sometimes you can find some of those diamonds in the rough. Want to touch on that? So I'm glad we got to talk about it. Uh, final point here. I follow a lot of notable sales on eBay. I, I follow, I track eBay sales daily just for Frank Thomas stuff, obviously, but like stuff that's not Frank Thomas from my other projects I work on. And then I run my business, of course, through eBay as well. And so I'm seeing a lot of things all the time. So recently, an Albert Pujols card sold from 2002 Topps Chrome. It's the black refractor. Two bids. So the end price was $24,600. And I, I don't know how legitimate that sale was but because that sale existed now there's a record of it which creates a perceived market value assumption that this card actually brings you know 25k you know for a card for $25,000 you could probably get his 2001 Bowman Chrome Redemption rookie auto significantly more important card to have um, and so I, I, I don't I don't see stuff like this often, like the second year low parallel black refractor of a key player, just rare. But when I do, I don't expect this kind of a number because it doesn't have an autograph, not a redemption, no jersey. No, it's not even a rookie card. But granted, the auction was it, it positioned this card as a rookie card. So the you know the kind of dialogue around this is how does this impact the market for these cards? And how long do you think the, the market is impacted? How long does the wave, does it take for the wave to kind of settle to where people forget that this this item listed and somebody will finally list one auction style and it's like, you know, sells for 1200 instead of 24000 So what's on your mind here, Brian, when you look at this auction and you think to yourself, what are the implications of something like this? Yeah, well, you know, the, the first thing that it reminds me of is that um, I mean, this pro price, this $24,600 final selling price, it it seems so outrageous that like it, it's hardly even believable. But then on the other hand, like I feel like I've been saying that quite a bit over the last year and a half in the card market. And we've seen a lot of legitimate deals go down. And so it's so hard to know if something is 100% legitimate or if there's some, you know, online chicanery going on behind the scenes that, um, you know, it, sort of ends with this final selling price. Um, so it's really it's really tough to know what, what to make of that. You know, probably the first thing that's gonna happen is that other owners of this card are gonna see that sale value. And I, I would guess that they're gonna put uh, put their, their card onto the open market in some form and try to see if they can sell their card for a, a similar amount. That's already happening. That, is that already, already happening? There's already another example online with a bin asking price of of of, of this. Oh, okay. So yeah, that's... so it's like it's like, I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you can't really and and asking price is instead of twenty four thousand six hundred is twenty four thousand five hundred and it starts as an auction style. Now, I can feel at least partially confident assuming this car is not going to get any bids, even though it's, you're saving a hundred dollars. <laughs> So yeah. I, I don't I don't think and, and I know it's a different copy because the serial number is different. Yep. So it's not just somebody bought this and then relisted it. There hasn't been enough time between like the purchase of the last sale and getting it 
released it anyway, still in transit or still in the possession of the seller of the first example. So when I see this, I'm like, oh gosh, this one that's on eBay now, 24,500 has 18 watchers. And in three days, you know, on Friday, when it, when it ends, are we really to assume it's going to get a bid? I, I just find it extremely hard to believe that it, we're going to see any action on this card. It's so interesting. Your, your point about this Pujols that, that did sell being labeled as a rookie card in, in the listing, um, I'm wondering if perhaps there was a, a buyer or a couple of prospective buyers who are new to the hobby. I mean, this is a lot of money to be spending um, on a card. So if you're brand new and you're spending this amount of money, I would probably question, you know, not doing your research a little bit more. But I, I wonder if someone legitimately thought that this was a Pujols rookie card numbered out of 50. You know, maybe someone just made a mistake, but there was a couple of bids. So it's really tough to know. I, you know, I would say that, you know, the, I, I mean, I totally agree with you that the next sale of this card, you know, it, it's not going to go for anywhere near this. Um, it, it might, might though. It might it, though, because this auction started out at, at 24,500 and two separate, two separate bidders. Yeah. So I, this, this one that's currently listed, that's a separate example. Yeah. We only know it's going to bring more. I just find it hard to believe that this this card sells for like more than twice as much as this 2001 Bowman Chrome Redemption rookie auto, like the card to get, you know, the iconic card of that decade, the one everybody wants. Yeah, you know, I would I would say I'm I'm looking at the um, this 2002 card right now. I I like the design of it. It's a beautiful card. It, it really. Looks, um, yeah. So maybe you know, just someone really wanted it and put it in an aggressive aggressive bid, and they they did what they had to do to. To bring it home or maybe they're trying to do some sort of run complete some sort of rainbow and, and needed this card and was doing willing to do whatever it, it took so you know people have all different kinds of motivations um both buyers and sellers and sometimes it just on the surface it, it doesn't make sense and we just are, are sort of looking at this from the outside trying to figure out what's, what's going on um but yeah i think the real you know the, the second the second card that that's currently listed if that sells and for what value like that to me is really what is going to tell us if there's something um, maybe a little bit longer term lasting with, with this card. If this is just a one-off, sometimes that happens. Um, so we will, we will have to see. It'll definitely be interesting to see how this goes. Truly. I'm thinking like 12 to 1500 bucks on, on the, on selling raw auction style, but that's just me. Thanks for tuning into the Rowdy Cards podcast and RowdyCards.com. I'm your host, Patrick Reno. And until next time, enjoy collecting. If you like this content, please subscribe. Thank you. Enjoy collecting.